Well, tell your neighbor, I bet he got you on that one. But he didn't get me. Is it possible that there are things controlling you that you're not aware of? Is it possible that as we look out on events that happen and we see them in the news media, we read about them in the paper, that something unseen is going on in the background that's not as the way it appears? We live in a world today that has basically sanitized our understanding of culture of anything supernatural or anything spiritual. You get rid of God, you get rid of angels, then you have to get rid of Satan and demons. But the Bible says very clearly that there is a demonic influence in the world, that there are supernatural things, forces. Sometimes we see them very clearly, the way they work in people's lives. Sometimes they're hidden to us. But there's a passage I want to read to you this morning, Mark chapter 5, verse 2, about a man that uh, is, is known uh, in Scripture as the Gadarene demoniac. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. Now, what do you think? Here's a guy living in the graveyard that the Bible says is influenced by demons. So he comes to meet Jesus. Of course, it's going to be a great turnaround in his life because, I mean, no, that's what Christ can do. Christ can turn around whatever forces are working in our life for good. But verse 4, he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. Don't you imagine a prisoner that's going to jail or coming to the courthouse. You know, he's got the chains on him and he just has this supernatural strength. It's not, a, it's not fiction, it's not make-believe, not fake handcuffs, but he's able to supernaturally break those cuffs. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Verse 5, day and night he would cry out. It's like if you've been outdoors at nighttime in the country, you hear coyotes yelling in the background. It's like you'd be close to where this guy was living and you'd hear blood-curdling screams in the middle of the night. The Bible says he would cut himself with stones. And verse 9, of course, after his encounter with Jesus, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. Now, Legion, of course, in the Roman army represented about 6,000 soldiers, but it came to be known, a term that came to be known as a well-organized group with great power. A well-organized group with great power. And what Jesus was telling us basically is, and as we see in, I think it's verse 12, that there were, a multi, there were several demons that came out of this man that were literally controlling his life. Now, here's the message in this passage this morning that Jesus recognized the power of demons to influence human behavior. Now, I'm going to talk about this this morning, and I'm not suggesting to you that anything that's an aberration or anything weird has a demon behind it. How many know there's not a devil under every rock? Maybe one sitting next to you this morning, but there is not one under every rock. But the challenge is, which rock may one be under? Again, we've come to explain everything in America today through natural reasons rather than spiritual reasons. But this guy was not crazy. He was not, cr he was not crazy. Jesus didn't say he was a man with mental problems. Jesus said he was in, under the influence of demons. He had supernatural strength. He was violent. He isolated himself and he abused himself. Behavior that you see somewhat often today. But again, secular America basically believes that there's a natural cause for everything. And as long as we have a microscope or a telescope or a Petri dish, a computer, as long as we've got the right formulas, we can explain everything away. 
Uh, even those mental health professionals have a manual that if you go in to see a mental health professional, I guarantee you the guy that was the murderer in Colorado, he's been talking to psychiatrists. Uh, they're trying to figure out what was wrong with this young, with this young man. And they're looking to this dsm four or this Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders trying to figure out what describes him. And this idea of kind of sanitizing our mental health system and our understanding of psychology from anything supernatural began as early as the 1840s when there was a census being taken in America and they were counting people in the hospitals and they were trying to figure out how many people have a mental illness. And as it developed over the years, basically, it, uh, it, as we got smarter, we replaced superstitious things like, like, like demons and angels and God because now we understand everything. Isn't it amazing how just because we can understand something like DNA or understand the, the billions of stars and the billions of universes that we somehow think that that explains away the supernatural source of it, which is God. Just because you can understand something doesn't, doesn't have to take away the supernatural. Well, if this guy, this Gadarene demoniac, were in America today and somehow they had put him in a cell, uh, they doped him up and a psychiatrist was analyzing him, he might say that he had uh, adult antisocial personality disorder. He might have a psychotic disorder with delusions. Or schizophrenia, that's kind of a catch-all. If anything's wrong with you, we don't exactly know what it is, that you could be a schizophrenic. How about this one? Paranoid personality disorder. I'm not a mental health professional, but as I was looking through the list, I thought that those, those kind of describe this guy that lived in the tombs. Now, several weeks ago, and here's my application for this. Several weeks ago, we were talking about this horrible murder in Colorado. We were talking about how this young man, 24 years of age, could go into a movie theater, uh, see a Batman movie, and proceed to pull out guns and begin to just murder people, 12 innocent people. About 60 other people were wounded. How could this happen? Of course, the media, if you recall, it's guns, it's, it's violent movies. First time I think I've heard that really discussed to that level. Uh, family disorders, racism, all the different explanations. But I would suggest to you it's just possible that there are things like this that happen, things that are almost beyond comprehension, things that have the, the taint of evil on them, things that are just diabolical in nature, that it could be some type of demonic influence. Now, having said that, I want to try to help you find an application in your life because likely, and none of us will likely never be affected to that degree, but yet the presence of evil is, wants to work in your life on an ongoing basis. Now, I've entitled this morning's message, The Presence of Evil, and I want to kind of help you understand how on, a, on just a, a, a normal course of life, how some people could be living under the influence of evil, how they could be living under the influence of a demon, and how it might be affecting their lives. Now you say, well, preacher, that sounds a little weird to me this morning. Well, we're going to look in the Bible and see how this works. We're going to look at a guy named Judas Iscariot. And when you think of Judas, you think of this guy, horrible, bad guy, betrayed Jesus. Yeah, but do you know why he betrayed Jesus? Do you know what was it about this man who appeared very normal? As we look at Judas, you're going to see that Judas is not at all like the Gadarene demoniac that we read about. Judas didn't scream at night. Judas didn't have, a, uh, you know, Judas didn't live in the tombs. He hadn't isolated himself. He was one of the 12 disciples. He walked with Jesus. Actually, on the night of the betrayal, none of the other disciples had any clue what Judas was about to do. Judas had this calm look about him. I mean, he just looked like one of the guys. He'd seen the miracles of Jesus. He'd seen Jesus raise the dead. But the Bible will show us, as we we get into this today, that somehow Satan was able to influence Judas through the love of money. 
It was a door that had been opened in his life that Satan had walked in and out probably for most of his life. And he, he, he loved money more than he loved God. And somehow through an offense, when Jesus rebuked Judas, it's almost like the devil pushed him over the edge. You'll even see a phrase you'll pick up this morning in Judas Iscariot that Satan literally entered him. He took control of his life and he pushed him over the edge and nobody knew what was going on. So I'm going to suggest to you this morning, evil is at work around you and wants to work in you. But it's key to us that we first recognize what's going on. And then, too, we resist anything that's not of God. Somebody say praise the Lord this morning. So let's kind of pick this up this morning and hopefully this will bring some some spiritual understanding to us. Let's go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is is where uh, where we'll begin. And Satan literally had a plan to use someone to betray Jesus, and uh, that man was Judas. John chapter 12, and I'm going to read from John 12, Luke 22, and Matthew 27 in what's called the harmony of the Gospels. The Gospel accounts, they differ in terms of their focus. Some Gospels, there's four, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some have the same stories, the same history, recording. Some add some facts. Some omit some of the stories. But as you look at the four Gospels together and, and, and study them, it's, it's like a, it's a picture, and it's called the harmony of the Gospels, how the different accounts relate to each other. And this seems to be the sequence that surrounded the betrayal uh, of Jesus by Judas. John chapter 12, verse 2, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Mary took an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet. But Judas Iscariot objected, and he said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, let's look at two people and how they looked at Jesus and how they looked at money. One, you got this lady. Her name's Mary. She, t- she took what was the equivalent of a year's wages. Now, I don't know what you make. If you're a kid and, you know, you might make, if you're a young person, you may come up with $2,000 a year. If you're an adult, you could be $30,000, $100,000, I don't care what you make, but I want you to think about everything you're going to earn in the coming year. You go to this store. Couldn't be in Texas, Canada. Let's say you go somewhere. You fly up to New York, and you go and you go to this perfume place, and they have found these spices and herbs and blah blah that went back that they found in the pyramids and 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 with Pharaoh and all that, and they've taken this and they made this concoction. And you said, "I'm going to buy one bottle of that. I'm going to beg, borrow, and steal. I'm going to take everything I'm going to earn this year, and I'm going to buy this." Your name was Mary. You come back. Jesus is in the room. You love him so much. He has changed your life. Uh, What he has done has been more than any value on this earth. And you take that jar of perfume and you pour it on his feet. Everybody smells it. You wipe this perfume and it's all over. It's like, you know, it's gone. You know, you can spend $100 at a restaurant and when it's over, the experience, it's over. You buy a piece of furniture, you know, and it lasts for a long time. But this was over. When she did it, she did it as worship. But when she did it, it, it set something off in Judas. It's like he got enraged. And it seemed like a noble purpose. We could have given this to the poor. But let's keep reading. Verse 6. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself what was, what was put into it. In other words, he was the treasurer for Jesus' gang, and he was the one that distributed the money, but he would do something like this. You give me some money, one for Jesus, one for Judas. Two for Jesus, 
to for Judas. And he had this way of he was taking money. Now, that's going to be very key because this will follow him. This is the door that Satan walked through in Judas's life to control him. In verse 7, after Jesus heard him say this, Jesus said, leave her alone. Now, I want you to imagine this was a public rebuke of Judas. And what happened? He's, he got offended. He got angry at Jesus. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Now, if we look forward to chapter 13, verse 2, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Now, what does that mean? The devil prompted him to betray Jesus. I don't know. I don't know how he did it. It's not very clear. But what we want to see in the scripture is somehow Satan has an ability to entice us, prompt us, conjole us to do something that's going to advance his agenda. Now, let's keep reading. Uh, Luke's gospel, Luke 22, verse 4, as we follow the sequence of the betrayal, it opens by saying, Satan entered Judas. What could that mean? Satan entered Judas. Judas, verse 4, went to the chief priests and discussed how he might betray Jesus. So when Satan was able to take control, Judas betrayed Christ. And what pushed him over the edge was a door that was open because he loved money more than he loved God. And they agreed to give him money. Here it is again. Now look at Matthew 27, verse 3. What happens when Satan's done with you? When Judas realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse and said, I've, I've sinned, I've betrayed an innocent man. Now here's something I want you to see. Judas was very lucid. He was not some crazy man going in and out of sanity. He realized what was going on. And this is very, very important. Jesus was, uh, Judas was not like the Gadarene demoniac. I mean, he was not violent. He was not cutting himself. He was not going crazy. He was not living in the tombs. He was a normal person just like you and I going through the affairs of life. And it was almost he was like he was in a dark cloud. And he did the stupidest thing anyone could ever imagine being done. And after he did it, he thought, my God, what have I done? What have I done? Well, then he goes back to the temple. Verse 4, I've sinned. I've betrayed. And they said, what do we care? That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins into the temple on the floor and he hanged himself. Now, think about this story again just a moment. Judas Iscariot. Very different than the Gadarene maniac, demoniac. That Gadarene demoniac, buddy, he didn't look good. He didn't dress good. He stank. I mean, he screamed. He yelled. He, I mean, he had all what you think if you went to see a horror movie. He was, you know, he was kind of the, one, of those, one of those kind of guys. Which, by the way, I don't know why people would want to see horror movies. I, I've seen one in my life when I was a teenager called The Exorcist. Some stupid girl I was trying to impress took me, and uh, I wish I'd never gone. But why would I? The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and of a sound mind. So listen to me. Why would you want to go somewhere to be made afraid? Why would you want to go to a haunted house? I, I suggest to you that you may open a door to fear that may not be fun one day, but might be paralyzing or controlling in your life. But anyway, uh, Judas was very different than this other guy, but nonetheless, an evil presence was at work. And what had been a root in his life, perhaps all of his life, the love of money. We don't know this. It could have started in his childhood for whatever reason. He could have been rich or his parents could have been poor. But for some reason, money became the most important thing in his life. And it so moved him that he was able to hide it so well 
that the other people around him didn't even know it. He actually, it had become his strength because he was selected to be the treasurer of this group of disciples, and he would steal from it. Now, we don't know why he stole. Maybe he had an expensive camel payment. I mean, you know, I don't know what it was. But for some reason, Judas stole this money, and he justified it for some fashion. And when Jesus rebuked him in the midst, Jesus didn't rebuke him because he stole, but he rebuked him because the source of that money, rather than being poured out as worship, could have gone to Judas. And Judas got offended. Satan entered into him, and then he goes to betray Jesus to the chief priests. And then after the betrayal and Christ is going to be crucified, he says, my God, what have I done? He throws the money on the floor, and they said, we don't care. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do in our lives. Once he uses us, he destroys us. He not only wants to destroy you, he wants to destroy people that he can in the circle around you. Well, that's the story. But what I want to look at this morning with you is I want to show you three very practical spiritual lessons from this story, how they can apply to you. Uh, again, I, I'm not suggesting any of us are going to be, you know, the weird, psychotic, demonic kind of thing. But yet the presence of evil is at work all the time. And the first uh, lesson I want to give you is that Satan is looking for an open door so he can influence us. The word is an open door. Everybody say open door. Second Corinthians chapter 2 is where we'll go. Now, once again, for Judas, it was the love of money. And the love of money opened a spiritual door somehow. Uh, and the Bible says that Satan entered Judas. Uh, other translations say he jumped on him. He came into his heart. He possessed him. He controlled him. So in some fashion, Judas teaches us that I can be under the influence of evil and may or may not even know it. Second Corinthians 2, another example, there's conflict in the church at Corinth. And here what's happened is there's been some kind of division, some kind of sin, some kind of discipline, and they've had to basically excommunicate a church member for a period of time. But now Paul says, forgive him and bring him back. But listen to what he says. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And I want you to say verse 11 with me. So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Now leave that up just a second. Satan wants to try to outsmart you and outwit you. And don't you think he's done a fabulous job if he can get people to believe he doesn't even exist? He doesn't even exist. So he wants to outsmart you. But Paul said, we understand his evil schemes. We know the way that he works. We know how God works. We know how Satan works. So with Judas, it was, unfor uh, it was love of money. Here it is unforgiveness. But what Satan wants to always do is oppose God's work and destroy people's lives. Now, there's other doors, and I want you to think about doors in your own life. Uh, how many know the door of pride can open to us? You remember King Nebuchadnezzar had this. King Herod had this in the New Testament. Nebuchadnezzar said, look at this great kingdom that I have built by my mighty power. And all of a sudden, God says, wham. All of a sudden, he was brought to the ground. Pride can be a door. How about the door of lust or pornography? I guarantee you the psychiatrists and people that have been involved in studying Coach Sandusky's life from Penn State, how he over decades developed a propensity that his sexual satisfaction came from an illicit relationship between an adult and a boy. Or a young man. Who knows how that started? Who knows how that started? But I guarantee you somewhere along the line, pornography was involved. Somewhere along the line, he saw a young man that didn't have clothes on or body was partially clothed and he felt drawn to that. And somehow he just kept going in and out of this door. That's why pornography is such a dangerous, dangerous thing. Statistics say as high as 35, 40, 45% of Christians are regular consumers of pornography. 
And the pornography I want you to see is an open door. And what happens, as long as you allow that stuff to enter you, it's like this open door. Every time Satan comes in, he brings a brick, he brings some mortar, he brings a board, he brings a nail, he brings a tool, and he's building a spiritual stronghold in your life. And it doesn't seem like anything's wrong with it. Everybody's doing it. The Supreme Court has made it legal. How many know something can be legal but still be wrong? So it's a door. These are doors that are out there. Fear can be a door. It can be a stronghold in your life. Uh, my grandmother, uh, that was something. I loved her dearly, but she had a spirit of fear on her. Didn't have a clue. We lived in the, in the middle of the summer. Grandma would have to go through the house and check the heaters, the gas heaters, twice. Now, is it good to be concerned about your house? Absolutely. But at some point, it begins to be controlling. Grandma was scared to drive across a bridge. Grandma was scared to go through a tunnel. She, she was a Christian. She went to church. But a door of fear, and guess what? That same thing can transfer across generations. So fear can be a door. Jealousy can be a door. I have talked to husbands, listen, that were so paranoid that their wife was going to be with somebody else. They'd hire detectives. They would buy electronic gadgets. They would call. They would wonder. And, 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 and jealousy, this door, became a door of destruction, violence, envy. There's a lot of them. But here's the key thing I want to say this morning. It's important for you to recognize what doors you have opened in your life. What doors your children are opening in their lives. Come on. For evil to come and influence us. And again, it's not the exorcist, long green tongue, vomiting green junk. It's not that. But it is, it is like Judas being somehow manipulated and controlled to carry out some evil, evil task. Okay, so let's go to the second. The second thing that we can learn from Judas is Judas took the bait of Satan and got offended. The bait of Satan, I want you to think, how many people uh, watch that movie? It's, uh, it's called The People in Louisiana, Alligators... Swamp people. How many Swamp People fans here? Let me see your hand. Uh, me too. I like it. <laughs> I mean, catching those big alligators, and I mean, it's a pretty cool thing, and the videos are great. But, but uh, they get that hook that's about that long, and they put chicken on it. If the chicken doesn't work, you know, they say, I'm trying Grandpa's, you know, special remedy here, and I'm taking some beef melt, and it's rotten for a couple days, and it stinks, and I'm spraying on some more stink to it. And they hang it up in that tree, and they're just hoping this big old alligator is going to bite it and get hooked on the line. And that's exactly what an offense does. Judas got offended when Jesus rebuked him. Remember when Jesus, Mary, anointing his feet, Jesus said it's a good thing, and Judas said, oh, we should have given the money to the poor, and Jesus said in the presence of everybody, let her alone. I suggest to you, Judas got offended. The word offended, it means it's a stumbling block. It's when somebody does or says something that makes you angry, hurt, or annoyed. Let me say it again. Somebody insults you. Somebody says something that makes you angry. I saw... What was a first for me? I saw my wife, the sweet little godly, spirit-filled Italian lady that's in Africa, come this close to road rage in Colorado. I mean, we were, she was driving my truck, and it was when they were evacuating the houses, you know, from the fire. And this 18-wheeler just was having a bad day, and he would not let her, uh, uh, you know, get in. And she was adamant. She was going to get in, and she'd speed up, and he'd speed up. And we were running out of road, and I said, honey, and she said, honey. And, and, and see, she's not here. I can say whatever I want to, but... but, but. Come out of her in Jesus' name. And, and, and then she slowed down. And No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. 
that, that wasn't in my notes. It, the devil made me do that. It was the devil. Okay, I don't know if it was or not. But somebody does something. They get angry, hurt, annoyed, insulted. And here's what we do as people. We withdraw or we lash out. How many people lash out when angry when, when you get offended? Let me see your hand. You could you, you, you punch somebody's look at them. A lot of ladies, I see that. How many, how many people are withdrawers? You just you pull away. You do both. So you punch and pull, okay? Punch and pull. So, so how many wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said, unless it was free, free meals? Okay. Well, anyway, we, we, the point is, is we respond in ways that are often unhealthy. Uh, we get revenge. Have you ever known someone or been this way or seen in a movie where somebody waited five years to get revenge? They waited 10 years. They held it there. I'm going to get you no matter if it takes me the rest of my life. What happens? I get offended. And I'm going to do something. Friends, it's the bait of Satan. It was what pushed Judas over the edge to betray Christ. An offense will isolate you from people. Now listen to this. Very important. Proverbs 18, 19. Particularly for Christians in the body of Christ. Proverbs 18, 19. It says, an offended friend. Say it with me. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Imagine the, imagine the high security prison where you go through multiple levels of security to lock a murderer away in jail on death row. When you get offended, you lock yourself away from people like that. And I want to tell you, the devil would like nothing better than to isolate us from one another. I've had people, and this is serious, it's funny, but it's serious. I've had people get offended because I didn't shake their hand when I walked down the aisle. It wasn't a purposeful ignore. I just, you know, whatever, running out of time, busy, you're looking away, whatever the case is. I've had people get busy, uh, uh, get offended and not come back to church. You say, well, how stupid. No, they were hurting. Listen, and somehow projected on me as a male figure, the last pastor that did them dirty, their father, come on, that didn't give them what they needed. Their dumb jerk husband that needed, you know. But somehow, subconsciously, you project these things on people. And the devil gives you an offense. Because rather than being a place of healing, he wants to isolate us and pull us away. I've had people get offended because their name or anniversary was not in the bulletin. Now, it doesn't matter that they didn't give it to us because they thought, what's that church going to do with my information? It doesn't matter about that. They just got offended on the day that their birthday was because nobody came up and said I had a birthday or, or somebody else got a birthday card from, you know, from, from the church, but I didn't get one. And we get offended. Now, you're laughing about that, but it happens all the time. And the closer we get to people, the more opportunity it is to get offended. It's the bait of Satan. It happens to married couples. You don't just wake up one day and get divorced. Something happens and you go to bed at night mad and you're back to back. You're acting guilty now once you say something about the people sitting behind you or something. But, but you go to bed back to back. The Bible says, though, don't let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger. But yet you know, listen, that she should, if she would just tell me she's sorry, then I'd tell her sorry, and then we could snuggle, and then it would be okay. But if she's not going to, I'm not going to. Are you not supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Come on, husband. If you want to be the man of the house... I don't care who's at fault. You say, honey, you know what? We can kind of work all this out, but I'm sorry we've had a, 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 this kind of argument that has separated us so, and I want you to I love you, and I'll do anything for you. Oh, sweetie, thank you. 
It could even get better than that. Now, let's move on. But I'm telling you, you can go to bed back to back or you can do that. It's an offense. Now, let me give you a scripture. What, what, what do you do? What's the right thing to do with an offense? They can put a scripture up from Colossians. Now, listen to this, what, the, what, Jesus, what the, uh, Paul tells us. Because our response is going to determine our future. And here's what Colossians says. Make allowance for each other's faults. And what's it say? Forgive anyone except your ex. Forgive anyone except the guy who fired you. Forgive anyone except the coach who didn't let your kid play on the team. Forgive anyone except your stepmother. No. It says forgive anyone who offends you. Keeps going. And then it gets worse than that, friend. Then it says, put the next part of that scripture up. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Not if you feel like it. Come on, give the Lord a good hand there. But it was a door. It was a door. Let's, let's look at one more, one more lesson here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10. Judas apparently believed a lie to justify his actions. Now, somehow Satan had to influence Jesus or Judas's thoughts to make him believe what was not true. Now, we're surmising a little bit, but if you give me just a little bit of liberty, how in the world could a normal guy that could manage money, that could hide his, you know, his dark side and evil, whatever, well, nobody know about it, even when Jesus predicted betrayal, uh, the guys had to say, who is it? They had no clue whatsoever. This guy could hide these things, but I suggest to you somehow he believed a lie because just like us, a thought or an impulse precedes your actions. Let me say it again. A thought or an impulse. You're not a robot. You know, you're not just some, just some animalistic driven person. Now, even when you touch a hot stove, the, whatever, the neurons and the receptors and transmitters, I mean, it's bing, bang, brain, move, move your hand. But most things that we do have some level of thought to go with them. Now, I don't know what Judas thought. I don't know what, what, what lies Judas believed, but maybe it was something like this. Think about this. He's going to betray Jesus Christ. He had seen this man raise the dead. Jesus promised that he would give eternal life. Jesus was the fulfillment of the scriptures, but yet you are going to betray him to kill him, all for a handful of silver coins. So what lie might he believe? Maybe Judas thought, I deserve this more money. When he was stealing, I deserve it. And now Jesus wasted, let's say it was you know, $50,000 worth of perfume. Well, heck, his cut could have been $10,000. And, you know, he, he could have bought whatever. Maybe he felt he deserved it. I guarantee you, people who, who embezzle money, you see, make the newspapers, they th they're saying, I'll pay it back. And because I'll pay it back, it's okay. Friend, it's a lie. It's stealing. Maybe Judas believed, maybe Judas didn't agree with the way Jesus was leading the ministry. Uh, maybe Judas thought Jesus doesn't care so about me, so why should I care about him? See, we don't know what... The, Judas could have had a mother-in-law with cancer and was driving to Houston to get treatments. I mean, we don't know what it was, but maybe Judas thought that Jesus should know more about my needs to help me. See, we don't know what it was, but the bottom line I suggest to you, your mind is the chief spiritual battleground. Your chief spiritual battleground is not in the tombs with the Gadarene demoniac. It's what goes on between your ears. Let me Scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. The weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, again, a stronghold. In Judas' case, the love of money. Sandusky, it was the pornography. And Satan went in and out of the door. Imagine with the brick upon brick, mortar, brick, mortar, uh, boards, nails. And all of a sudden, it's this structure inside. 
But the Bible says that you have a spiritual weapon to, de- to demolish a stronghold. And then he shifts into language of the, of, of, of the reason of the mind. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And the last part of this, I want you to read it with me. We take captive every thought. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought we take captive to make it obedient to Christ. How does this work? Do you know suicide has a voice? Have you, have you ever, uh, I, I have talked to a number of people that contemplated suicide. I had a friend at one time. This person, sharp as attack as they could be, top of their game, was having some struggles and pressures in their life. And they said, I need you to pray for me. I was driving home down the interstate the other day, and something just made me feel like just driving my car into the concrete barrier to take my life. Suicide has a voice. The voice says, they won't miss you. The voice says there'll be too much shame in your bankruptcy. The voice says nobody cares about you anyway. Just go ahead and end your life. And the voice could even say God would forgive you. Now can I see? I, 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 don't, I don't know how to tell you the difference between your thoughts and these thoughts that are influenced by evil. But I'm telling you both can get jumbled up in the mix. Somehow Judas, Satan influenced him to betray and then he entered him. And then he pushed him over the cliff. I suggest to you, the, the mind has something to do with it. Adultery has a voice. You don't just go and commit adultery because you have nothing else to do. A thought comes to your mind. I deserve a better man than the one I've got. He treats me better than this lug treats me. This voice will say, God wants you to be happy. I hear that all the time. I, nobody's ever shown me the scripture that says God wants me to be happy instead of obedient. Usually it's when they want to sin against God in some way. Come on. And they're not happy in their condition. This voice will also often say, it's, it won't hurt the kids. Kids get over it. Kids are resilient. I want to tell you what. My parents, I was 21, 22 when my parents uh, separated to get divorced. I remember where I was. I was in the phone booth of Barracks 151 in Moffett Field, California. When my mother called me and couldn't even tell me they were getting divorced, she said they were getting separated. And I just walked to the shower like a... And, and, and Don't believe that lie. It will affect your children. It will affect them every birthday, every time there's a... Every, listen... My my dad, on his third wife, I love my dad. He's as happy as he can be. The woman she's married to is a great lady. She never misses a birthday card for the kids, for for us, none of us. She always signs my dad's name. My dad doesn't have a clue. He doesn't remember. But I had to repent of something last year. He's been married to her probably, I don't know how long, 10 years or 15 years. And I have never responded to her kindness with her birthday card. Why is that? You say, oh, I did last year and we did this year too, okay? But why is that? It's because somehow there's still a little kid living inside, come on, saying that my daddy should be married to my mama and this is not. Now look, if you're divorced, I'm not trying to beat up on you. Listen, I'm just telling you, life is more complicated. I mean, it doesn't always solve the problem. Sometimes the problem will outlive you. It's worse than, it's worse than death. But it, these things have a, a voice. Drugs have a voice. Just try it one time, it won't hurt you. You'll have fun. You can quit whenever you want. Really. But the, these are lies, friend. 
And Jesus himself said that Satan is the father of lies. John says Satan hates the truth. He's the father of lies. And I suggest to you this morning that the third lesson that we can learn from Judas today is don't believe the lies. And how do you know the difference? That's why it's so important to read your Bible, to transform your mind. Come on, to renew your mind, the Bible says, with the Word of God. To let the Word of God wash you, the truth of the Word, wash you and cleanse you. See, the Bible, that's why we encourage you to read your Bible every day. Not just for stories and facts, but so you can renew your mind. So that when the lies come to you, you can do what Jesus did. Come on, in the 40-day temptation, get behind me, Satan, because it, say it with me, it is written. Give the Lord a good hand today, and I'm, I'm done. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning, and, and we're going to take an opportunity to pray. Well, I trust the Lord was speaking to you this morning in, in today's message. The worst thing you can do after a Sunday message as soon as it's, as it's, as it's over, as the preacher's done, is to just click off to go home. You need to follow up and say, what am I going to do with what I heard? What has God been speaking to me about? Because Christianity is not just an accumulation of biblical facts. Our Christian walk is a journey that we go down. And I just wonder today if you might enter into a prayer with me and that you might respond to God. You don't have to say a thing to anybody else. We certainly don't want to embarrass you. But I want to encourage you to act on what you heard this morning. Would you just bow your head just a second? And uh, we just want to just turn our hearts towards God right now. And I just wonder this morning, what has the Holy Spirit been saying to you? I wonder if you're, you're here today. And as we were going through this, this message, and I was talking about open doors I wonder if the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something in your life. I wonder if there's a door that's open. And just like Joe Judas's love of money, Satan has been coming in and out of that door of your life for a long time. And he's, he's building something. Every time you let him in, he brings a brick. Every time you let him in, he brings some mortar. And I'm not trying to beat you up, but what I am telling you, friend, is you need to recognize that, that that's not a good thing. That's something that with the grace of God and the power of God, a door that you can close. But if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've, I've got a door in my life and I want to ask God to help me close that door because I don't want it to destroy me. Just slip your hand up real quick. Nobody looking around, not their business. That's right. Just be honest with God. Many, 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 many people. I've got a door. How about the second one that we talked about, the offense? Something has happened to you. It could have been recently. It could have been a long time ago, but you're offended. You got insulted, you got angry, you got hurt. And what you did, you withdrew or you attacked or you're planning revenge or, or you're quitting, you're withdrawing, you're giving up. And, and you want to recognize that what you're doing is wrong. That rather, whether they were right or legitimate in what they did or illegitimate, the bottom line, you got offended. And you want to forgive them right now. And you see them in the forefront of your mind. You know who it is. You know the circumstance. And you simply want to turn them over to God. And you want to release the offense today. You, you don't want to bite that hook that's baited. You want to get away from it and spit it out of your mouth. And you want to ask God to help you find forgiveness and release them. Would you just lift your hand right now? That's right. Nobody's business. That's yours. You're, you're just receiving the Holy Spirit as you do this. God's grace. And how about this last one? Lies that we believe. Judas must have believed a lie. What did that young man believe? What did he believe that caused him to, for weeks, prepare for his murderous spree? What was he listening to? What voice? 
when he bought all the armor to protect himself when he walked in? What voice was he listening to when he decided to look like the Joker? What went through his mind when he burst into that door of that movie theater and began to pull the trigger? What went through his mind when he heard the screams of the people? Friend, lie after lie after lie had somehow become real. And I wonder if you're convicted this morning that you're listening to lies and Satan somehow is gaining influence over you and you want to you resist the lie and recognize it and believe the truth. Would you just slip your hand up? Say, I've got some lies that circulate. Yeah, yeah. Now let's all just reach out to heaven right now and say, God, would you just come by your Holy Spirit and help us do perhaps what we've been unable to do? Would you just come right now and give us power and desire to close the door? Would you supernaturally come to us and help us to recognize that this thief, Satan, is coming to steal, kill, and destroy from my life? Would you come to me this morning, Holy Spirit, and, 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 and give me grace to forgive people? Just like God's freely forgiven me, I'm going to forgive them right now. But I'm going to need the help of God to do it. And lastly, Lord, would you help me make a renewed commitment to renew my mind with the Word of God? To, to, to have truth be my, uh, my barometer that I know what's true and what's a lie. And that I would have courage to recognize it and then to resist it. And this is my prayer today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hey, it's a good day today, wasn't it? Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Good day in God's house. Praise the Lord. Great day in God's house. Hopefully next week you'll come and we have three, three weekend services, Saturday, two on Sunday, and bring a friend with you, invite somebody this week. But come Wednesday night, 5.15 to 6.15, free burgers and hot dogs be great and all the trimming. But the main reason to come is so you can come and find out what's going on in the church this fall and where you can plug in and get involved. But before you walk out the door, if I could ask you if you'd just turn your heart to me one more moment. And I always like to close with an opportunity for prayer because for whatever reason, someone may need the touch of another person in the prayer. I, I want to make this offer to you today. Maybe you're here as I'm preaching. You're aware that there's a real stronghold in your life. And you need somebody to, the power of prayer to break it because you know you don't have the willpower. Something powerful. See, you're not just coming up to a, a platform. This has been an altar dedicated to God, a place where people meet God. You may have a stronghold in your life. Or maybe your family or yourself are just under a spiritual attack. And as we've talked about this today, and your faith is up a little bit, you recognize, you want to pray that, that God would help you win this battle and not give in to it. We'll, we'll pray for anything. Maybe you're here today, and, and your life is not where it needs to be in your walk with God. M maybe you don't even know if you go to heaven if, if you died. Or, or maybe in your heart you know you need to commit your life to Christ. You need to surrender to Jesus Christ today. Maybe you walked with Him in the past, but you got away, and today is a day to come back. When we begin to worship uh, in this next song, I want you to come, and we're going to pray for you this morning for anything you like. So I want you to just go wor start worshiping Pastor Nick. He'll sing this through one time, and then we'll dismiss. Our prayer team is going to come right now. And if you're needing prayer for any of these things today, if you just feel God drawing you to come for prayer, to get right with Him, to get prayer for the things that are in your life, we'd be happy to stand here with you. I love you and God bless you.